0: Welcome to Podcast, the Business of Dentistry podcast, brought to you by Practice Plan. Podcast delivers the best business advice, real-life stories, and practical hints and tips to make your practice a more profitable and sustainable business. And now, here's your host.
1: Hello, I'm Neil Whelan, and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. This time, we look at what dentists can expect to happen to their income when moving from the NHS to private practice. Joining Laura White for the conversation is Katrina Rees. Area Sales Manager for Practice Plan, which for those of you who don't know, is a branded dental membership element of the Wesleyan Group. As more and more dental practices shift from NHS to private work, maintaining and increasing their income is obviously vital, and Katrina has worked with a lot of practices that have gone through this process and is sharing her knowledge here. As always, this podcast is for information purposes only and isn't financial or business advice. If you do feel as if you need more information after listening to this, You can talk to Wesleyan Financial Services and its specialist financial advisors, as well as their colleagues at Practice Plan. And I'll return at the end to let you know how to get in touch. But for now, I'll hand you over to Katrina. And first up, Laura.
2: Hi, Katrina. Do you mind giving yourself a quick introduction of uh, your role and what Practice Plan does for dental practices looking to move?
0: Good morning, Laura. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. So for our listeners, my name is Katrina. Um, which is here at Practice Plan Group. We work alongside an amazing team of talented regional support managers. What we do is we support dental practices to meet their business objectives support them to grow their, their income, and um, typically with the support of dental management plans. We also do a few other things which we have up our sleeves to support them live on a day-to-day basis. But a very big, large part of our role is supporting dentists with biggest decisions that they look to make and we know that is how do I leave the NHS and more importantly it's ensuring that they really understand the whole process of this of this complete journey start to end as to what their options are looking at income replacement how that conversion could look in their practice support with giving notice and all the other things for consideration that they just may not have thought about so that they can then go away and make a really informed decision as to if this is the right move for them or if it's just maybe not the right time for them. So this is typically what we do.
2: Fantastic. So in terms of uh, kind of like the NHS landscape, what are you seeing in terms of dentists working under the NHS at the moment?
0: Well, I mean, I think you've probably seen quite a lot of this on the news and on media and um, recently. But there is a huge amount of frustration across all the countries in the UK. Um, Each have slightly different issues depending on where they're located and particularly what type of contracts that they do have in place. But fundamentally, the challenges are all the same. The main being that the contracts simply don't work, they're outdated. And second, the workforce. The workforce is diminishing. It's becoming incredibly difficult to recruit a dentist and even more difficult to recruit an NHS dentist. And those that are there working in the NHS do report to be deeply unhappy and very, very stressed with the situation. And if you look across every local area team or local health board, there is frustration with how they manage their contracts from place to place. We get reports of a lot of variants how how each area manages things. There's a bit of inconsistency about it all. Um, I have spoken to practices who've been looking to rebase their contracts simply due to recruitment challenges and their general inability to fulfil their contracts to try and avoid that drawback. And what we're being told is that some areas are getting approved for this and others are getting declined. Um, and where they're getting declined, this is often forcing practices to make the decision to, you know, make the change and leave the NHS. Um, I think as well, the UDA values, there's inconsistency with that. There's contracts being tendered out now with much higher UDA values than practices are currently on. And this causes frustration and annoyance itself. With regards to, you know, we know there's a challenge with staffing across the board with all, all areas, hygienists, nurses, etc. But with, with dentists, the earning potential for them is capital when they are NHS dentists and, you know, associates in particular, they're looking to be doing different things. There's a much bigger drive and a bigger focus on this with them, especially as they're coming through now. They want to do more cosmetic or high-end treatment rather than just the general dentistry that we used to see so much more of historically. So when associate-led conversions out in the practice are becoming much more of a thing, you know, the associates are pushing for it more because they're no longer happy just working on the NHS in practices and they're they're forcing the hands almost of the owners. And this is in both, um, you know, corporates and independent practices. So, you know, in in addition to all these challenges, we know that they're wanting to work work less days and hours Attitudes are very different to what they used to be. So, I mean, in a nutshell, then to, to further be working under extreme pressure uh, in the NHS on a system that no longer works for them, um, which they're often subsidising as well. So because of all these different challenges and variances that we're seeing across the UK, we are seeing a huge spiking requests for us to go into practices help support NHS conversions or to help practices understand how they can replace their income and the best way forward as a result of this. It's um, certainly a good times,
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, it does sound like a particularly challenging time for NHS dentists at the moment. I think that's fair to say. Um, you mentioned that one of the areas that you look at is replacing NHS income, and I imagine that is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest concern for dentists looking to make the move. Can you just kind of explain how how you kind of go about that process? What does that that look like for dentists?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, And you're right, Laura, this is a huge concern for the dentist. You know, the minute you hand back your NHS contract, you've got three months and then that money is gone. So it's important that the dentist knows how they're going to replace that income. So the more NHS dependability a practice has, the higher the worry and the risk. So those who have a better mix of private to NHS are less likely to be as concerned. They're still concerned, obviously, but because they've already got that regular income coming through the private area of treatments, um, they, they seem to be a bit more confident to do it. But where that contract is higher and the mix of private treatment is lower, that's where you see much more pressure for the individual. That said, um, there are also many practices who've got a smaller NHS contract and they do simply just want to get rid of it now because it's generating a lot more work than perhaps the the income. So I've I've spoken to practices and they're saying my contract, you know, my NHS contract is 20% of my income, but it's causing me about 70% of my time and stress, and it's just not worth it. And I've done three contracts personally, which I've converted over the last few months where they've been very, very small. So, um, you know, like I said, this is somebody's income, and once the contract is given back, it's gone. So um, there must be peace of mind. So when I look at the key considerations, Laura, for replacing that income, there are so many. You know, it's important that before we just jump to handing the contract, that a lot more groundwork is completed beforehand. And the good news is for practices, they don't have to panic and sit there and work it all out themselves. That practice plan, we will go in and support them with this, and we will do most of the legwork for them. So before even starting that income replacement with a practice, it's important to really get under skin, you know, learn that business and understand it fully. Get that full holistic approach as to what is going on in that business, know it inside out. So to do that, we do a full risk and viability assessment to ensure that the conversion would be suitable for the practice by just looking at basic things. You know, for example, how long has the person converting either owned the business or worked there? And who is converting? Is it just one individual or is it everybody in the practice? And if it is one individual, will patients still be able to access the NHS at the practice with another dentist or not? All these things, you know, um, have uh, contributing factors that will help us assess the risk assessment and the financials. So look deeply into the makeup of the practice, who's in the team, the role, what staffing situation is, what vacancies they've got, is the capacity there? Treatments, services on offer, and also what the vision of that dentist or that practice is, because that's very important too. They may want to get back on hours, they may want to continue doing the hours, they may want to bring more clinicians in and expand the practice. So, all these things help us realistically understand the needs and what can be achieved. So, once we know a bit more about the business, we start looking at the patients because we need to know what we're dealing with in real time so we know what the income potential could be from them. Um, And of course, we do the income replacement calculations at that time. So we'd be reviewing things like how many patients do they have at the practice and how many of those are fee item patients that pay as they go for their private treatments and how many patients are NHS patients. And out of those NHS patients, how many are already fee-paying, how many are exempt. All these things are important because they are indicators as to the level of opportunity uh, financially for the practice. And of course, we really need to understand the contract value that we're looking to replace. So, knowing all this information gives us the starting point. And we then go away and we look at the business pricing structure and their fee per item rates and ensure that that is fit for purpose are they generating the hourly rate that the practice needs for it to be uh, future proof I think is the word that the words that I like to use you know will will their fee per item rates generate the income that they need to for their patients and if they do have dental plans in place at the practice are these plans adequately costed are they correct does the maths add up you know it may be that we need to do a complete overhaul all their fees and exist and current dental plans and implement new fees across the board so there is a lot of considerations it's not just as simple as writing on the bag of the fag packet you know like, this is how much I've got and this is how much a plan is and we'll just pop it in um, another thing that is really really important is NHS pensions you know these really are something that People tend to forget about when they're doing an NHS conversion if you're paying into an NHS pension and you're leaving the NHS what impact will this have it's a really big deal so anybody looking to hand back their contract needs to give careful consideration and speak to one of the dental financial advisors so they know how a conversion will impact them so they need to factor in money as well to replace any pension contributions that they want to add um, we are fortunate that we have a team of dedicated dental financial specialist advisors at Wesleyan. So we are able to um, support our clients with this. And I think my key thing from this, Laura, would be to say, assess everything, assess it again and see what the dentist wants, and then reassess it again to see what they really need. Because often what we're told they want isn't really what they need. It's not until you put all the figures down that things talk to you.
2: That's a really good point and at least they've got a lot of support they can tap into considering it's quite a complex area I'm guessing. So how well do dentists fare in general when it comes to the calculations? Are there many that where this kind of just isn't feasible for them?
0: Yeah you know it is a mixed bag. What we've got to remember here is when we do an income replacement and all the risk assessment that goes with it, it is a guide as to how many income could be replaced Nothing is a given because every conversion is uh, unique. But that said, it's good to have a calculated uh, projection of how it could look. So completing a conversion, having a dental plan membership in place is a really good way to ensure that regular income from the NHS is replaced every month. If it is looking unlikely that a practice will be able to replace enough income from the existing NHS patients, then of course we would have that conversation. Uh, look to understand you know is the the figures correct or any other things that we're not giving consideration to or options for them but that said more often than not private treatment will drive a lot more additional income. So in terms of the guaranteed dental plan income uh, that we would look at how many plan patients you need to replace the money a dentist are getting from their routine diagnostic appointments Um, because the dental plan replaces that element and then the treatment uptake is a separate amount of money and those treatments get paid for separately. So the risk and viability assessment helps us to understand how much private and NHS work is currently happening at the practice or being completed by each dentist and then using that information we could go away and make a factual assessment based on it to know if the conversion is viable. You know, we know when the dentists know we talk to them, they, the likelihood of replacing all the income immediately from a plan is just never going to happen. But they don't need to talk. What they need is enough to cover that routine and diagnostic work. The private treatment is paid for on top of that. We know how much private work they can typically do. And we also know there's a huge demand for dentists right now, demand outweighs supply. Um So, you know, we don't... We can't take everybody through. When you do an NHS conversion, we do need to have lower numbers going through. That is the whole purpose of it. But um, also, that will free up space for the clinicians from the patients who do not come across to plan to be given to new patients who are actively looking for private treatments. And those patients then in turn go on to spend the routine regular patients and they go on to join the membership plan. So, you know, there's a lot of things that that we look at as well. And also, you know, some dentists are looking to reduce hours. So it's when we look at everything holistically and talk through, we make sure we're happy with the projection and then, you know, talk through all the other options available to them.
2: That makes sense. Um, You have covered parts of this already, but if a a dental practice is is quite a way off, let's say, of being ready to... And convert their practice, what would their next steps be?
0: Well, you know, we will always be really open and honest about um, the findings and talk through them with them. And if a practice isn't ready, we feel they're not ready to hand back that contract, you know, we will tell them. And there are often instances where a practice just isn't ready. It could be they haven't got enough hygienist chair time to, you know, support the number of patients that they need to convert. So they will need to recruit. Or maybe they don't have an associate and so there's just not enough capacity for their needs. And, and we have those conversations and look at their options. And often it is a matter of recruitment. Or maybe the patient data just doesn't seem right. Sometimes we get figures too, and you look at it, and you do the math, and you think, there's no way they've only seen this many patients in the last two and a half years. You you sometimes there are some red flags. So I will then go back to them and say, look can you please rerun this data? Can you ensure it's correct? Pick up with your software provider and rerun it. And sometimes this is where the issue is, but not always. And of course, we've got to remember data is only as good as the inputting of it as well. So nothing's foolproof, but we do everything we can. It could be as well that, you know, this is a practice with a massive NHS contract, um, you know, million Um, and there is a bit of private work that's needed to generate income, but there's no specialist treatment available in the practice. So it's understanding how they're going to fill that void, you know, where's this extra revenue going to come from? And it could be that it just needs a bit more time to get somebody in place that's giving notice elsewhere before they come across, or, you know, where is the scope to do more for them in that practice if it's needed? There's ways to work around this, you know, you can grow your private income, uh, rather than just hand back the contract fully. So rather than just give the contract back fully, like you would do when you do an NHS conversion leaving and tell all your patients that you are leaving the NHS from a certain date, there are options for practices to grow their monthly plan income by simply putting a really good focus um, on plan growth in the practice, particularly for the clinician that is looking to convert, And this will just put them in a really good stead until they're in a better position financially and that the balance of fee-per-item and plan is starting to tick the scales a little bit more on NHS. So that just gives you a bit more confidence. There's also something, you know, there's there's, there's different ways that conversions can happen. You can do a blanket mailing or you can do a drink feed in-house. Which is a longer process where you talk to the patients on a one-by-one, on a one-by-one basis and join them to plan, you know, but it enables the dentist to move at a slower pace and they can grow their private income and then let go of the contract when they are feeling more ready. Now, that said, Laura, I am seeing more and more practices contact us after they've give given notice to the LHB or the LET. You know, I think they give notice out of pure frustration and exasperation and then retrospectively think, oh, have I got two months left? How do I do this thing to get more money? And that's when they, they have been coming to us lately. It's not ideal because the time to be proactive and get all your ducks in a row and be prepared is before giving notice to ensure that you've got everything in place and you can then go on to convert as many patients as possible during that window of opportunity, which is generally the notice period before the the money is taken away from the NHS. But, you know, having said that, we've successfully had many practices, have approaches retrospectively within their notice periods and they've gone on to be very, very successful conversions. You know, and you've got to remember conversion isn't a three month thing. It's a a slow burn. It's a 12 to 18 month process.
2: It's really interesting. Thank you. So I'm guessing in your role, you might see quite a lot of dentists with some pretty big misconceptions around moving from NHS to private. Um, Do you mind sharing what some of those might be?
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Well, I think the first one is that it's going to be really overwhelming to deal with. You know, where the heck do I begin? How do I do this? I haven't got the time to to look at it all. It's all too stressful. Um, And the other thing is, of course, the income. It's going to be really impossible to replace that income. Or it's just going to be really difficult to manage that conversion in the practice. And what I can say is that the process is actually a lot easier than people think it is going to be. You know, provided you do your legwork, you get the max, um, income and risk assessment completed and you really understand what it is you're dealing with. You set your plan fees appropriately and you set yourself realistic targets for it. And then you get your team in instead with a really good understanding of what you're doing. Because one of the most important things is you have to have your team on board to do this. If, if there is one weak cog in that chain, It will not work. So take the time to get your team on board and have a really good patient journey in place. Get the team well briefed and conversion itself after that is a really straightforward process. You know, you've got to remember if you're working with a team of people like us at Practice Plan, we will steer you all the way through the process from start to end and the important bits in between. And we understand that as a clinician, for you it's not about how many patients you get on plan it's about what is successful for you as an individual for you and your practice you know for some it's just I'm doing the type of dentistry I want to do I may be seeing less patients but you know what I'm now able to go on this course and learn something new that's really of interest for me do the type of dentistry I want you know I'm dropping back half a day or a day a week I'm I'm in a good place. It's what I want. The one thing I can say to you, Nora, is everybody will have their own thoughts and feelings about it. I've done many, many, many conversions, full conversions, partial conversions. And I've yet to have anybody say, I wish I hadn't done this. Most people just say, I wish I'd done it sooner.
2: Thank you so much for your time. That's been really, really interesting and really enlightening, I think, for a lot of dentists out there that might be slightly frustrated with the NHS at the moment. and We'll have to have you on again soon.
1: And that's our show for this week. Thank you to Laura and Katrina. If after listening to that, you think you could do with some expert financial advice, go to wesleyan.co.uk where you can book an obligation appointment with one of our specialist financial advisors. To talk to someone from Practice Plan about how they can help your dental business, go to practiceplan.co.uk. To find out more about what we're up to more generally, you can find Wesleyan and Practice Plan by searching for us across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, LinkedIn. And if you found what you've heard here useful, you can like and subscribe to us on all usual podcast platforms. That's it for now. So until next time...